want me to do the hello and welcome? Yeah. Hello and welcome, listeners, to this Womance's public access read-along of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I am your even chapter host, Isabeau. And I read the odd chapters, Morgan. This week is indeed an even chapter. We're all the way up to chapter 16. But before we dive in, Morgan, can you tell us what happened in chapter 15? With delight. Mr. Collins is still staying at Longbourn, and he gets invited to go on a walk to town with the Bennett sisters, which he's into because he wants to marry one of them. Uh, ideally, Jane, he's decided he will settle for Lizzie in his own head. And once they reach the town, they are greeted by a soldier named Denny, who introduces his friend, Mr. Wickham. And as they're all getting to know each other, uh, getting to know the handsome and agreeable Mr. Wickham a lot better, Darcy and Bennett roll up, or Darcy and Bingley roll up, excuse me, and Darcy and Wickham have, like, a thing. It's like, ooh. <laughs> um, and then the Phillips, who you'll remember are the Bennett girls' aunt and uncle, invite them to come over for dinner, hopefully with Wickham, some night this week. And so that's probably going to come up soon. Probably. And with no further ado, chapter 16. As no objection was made to the young people's engagement with their aunt and all Mr. Collins' scruples of leaving Mr. and Mrs. Bennet for a single evening during his visit were most steadily resisted, the coach conveyed him and his five cousins at a suitable hour to Maryton, and the girls had the pleasure of hearing as they entered the drawing room that Mr. Wickham had accepted their uncle's invitation and was then in the house. When this information was given, and they had all taken their seats, Mr. Collins was at leisure to look around him and admire, and he was so much struck with the size and furniture of the apartment that he declared he might almost have supposed himself in the small summer breakfast parlor at Rosings, a comparison that did not at first convey much gratification, but when Mrs. Phillips understood from him that Rosings was, and who was its proprietor, when she had listened to the description of only one of Lady Catherine's drawing rooms and found that the chimney piece alone had cost 800 pounds, she felt all the force of the compliment and would hardly have resented a comparison with the housekeeper's room. <laughs> in describing to her all the grandeur of Lady Catherine and her mansion with occasional digressions in praise of his own humble abode and the improvements it was receiving, he was happily employed until the gentleman joined them, and he found in Mrs. Phillips a very attentive listener whose opinion of his consequence increased with what she heard and who was resolving to retail it all among her neighbors as soon as she could. To the girls who could not listen to their cousin and who had nothing to do but to wish for an instrument and examine their own indifferent Im imitations of China on the mantelpiece, the interval of waiting appeared very long. It was over at last, however. The gentleman did approach, and when Mr. Wickham walked into the room, Elizabeth felt that she had neither been seeing him before nor thinking of him since with the smallest degree of unreasonable admiration. The officers of the Blankshire were in general a very credible and gentlemanly gentlemanlike set, and the best of them were 
of the present party, but Mr. Wickham was as far beyond them all in person, countenance, air, and walk, as they were superior to the broad-faced, stuffy Uncle Phillips, breathing port wine, who followed them into the room. It's not very nice. Mr. Wickham was the happy man towards whom almost every female eye was turned, and Elizabeth was the happy woman by whom he finally seated himself, and the agreeable manner in which they, he immediately fell into conversation, though it was only on its being a wet night and on the probability of a rainy season, made her feel that the commonest, dullest, most threadbare topic might be rendered interesting by the skill of the speaker. With such rivals for the notice of the fair as Mr. Wickham and the officers, Mr. Collins seemed likely to sink into insignificance to the young ladies. He certainly was nothing. But he still had intervals, a kind listener in Mrs. Phillips, and was, by her watchfulness, most abundantly supplied with coffee and muffin. When the card tables were placed, he had an opportunity of obliging her in return by sitting down to whist. I know a little of the game at present, said he, but I shall be glad to improve myself, for in my situation in life, Mrs. Phillips was very thankful for his compliance, but could not wait for his reason. Mr. Wickham did not play at whist, and with ready delight was he received at the other table between Elizabeth and Lydia. At first there seemed danger of Lydia's engrossing him entirely, for she was a most determined talker, but being likewise extremely fond of lottery tickets, she soon grew too much interested in the game, too eager in the making of bets and exclaiming after prizes to have attention for anyone in particular. Allowing for the common demands of the game, Mr. Wickham was therefore at leisure to talk to Elizabeth, and she was very willing to hear him, though what she chiefly wished to hear, she could not hope to be told the history of his acquaintance with Mr. Darcy. She dared not even mention that gentleman. Her curiosity, however, was unexpectedly relieved. Mr. Wickham began the subject himself. He inquired how far Netherfield was from Meryton, and after receiving her answer, asked in a hesitating manner how long Mr. Darcy had been staying there. About a month, said Elizabeth, and then, unwilling to let the subject drop, added, he's a man of very large property in Derbyshire, I understand. Yes, replied Wickham. His estate there is a noble one, clear ten thousand per annum. You could not have met with a person more capable of giving you certain information on that head than myself, for I have been connected with his family in a particular manner from my infancy. Elizabeth could not but look surprised. You may well be surprised, Miss Bennet, at such an assertion after seeing, as you probably might, the very cold manner of our meeting yesterday. Are you much acquainted with Mr. Darcy? As much as I ever wish to be, cried Elizabeth warmly. I have spent four days in the same house with him, and I think him very disagreeable. I have no right to give my opinion, said Wickham, as to his being agreeable or otherwise. I'm not qualified to form one. I have known him too long and too well to be a fair judge. It is impossible for me to be impartial, but I believe your opinion of him would in general astonish, and perhaps you would not express it quite so strongly anywhere else. Here you are in your own family. Upon my word, I would say it no more here than I might say in any house in the neighborhood except Netherfield. He's not at all liked in Hertfordshire. Everybody is disgusted with his pride. You'll not find him more favorably spoken of by anyone. I cannot pretend to be sorry, said Wickham after a short interruption, that he or that any man should not be esteemed beyond their deserts, but with him I believe it does not often happen. And the world is blinded by his fortune and consequence, or frightened by his high and imposing manners, and sees him only as he chooses to be seen. My book says deserts. That's weird. That he, or 
or that any man, any man should not be estimated beyond their deserts. Yeah, like to be honest, neither makes sense to me. <laughs> okay. Does deserts or deserts make sense to you? Do you think it's a typo? I don't know. I think like if you're estimated beyond your deserts, like you're more like you're esteemed beyond what you deserve. Makes more sense to me than deserts. See, to me, I'm like esteemed beyond your deserts is like esteemed beyond like your least, Mm. like on your worst day, Mm. maybe. Mm. Okay. See, my Google auto-populated deserts. Interesting. And then it pulls up different versions where it says deserts or deserts. (laughs) Not helpful. (laughs) DM us, tweet us if you're still on there. Uh, Or like send us a gram comment. Take a look in your book. Is it deserts or desserts? Let us know. Fascinating. Additions. English language. I should take him even on my slight acquaintance to be an ill-tempered man. Wickham only shook his head. I wonder, said he, at the next opportunity of speaking, whether he is likely to be in this country much longer. I do not at all know, but I heard nothing of his going away when I was in Netherfield. I hope your plans in favor of the Blankshire will not be affected by his being in the neighborhood. Oh, no. It is not for me to be driven away by Mr. Darcy. If he wishes to avoid seeing me, he must go. You're not on friendly terms, and it always gives me pain to meet him, but I have no reason for avoiding him. But what I might proclaim to all the world, a sense of very great ill usage and must pa- and most painful regrets, at his being what he is, his father, Miss Bennet, the late Mr. Darcy, was one of the best men that ever breathed, and the truest friend I ever had. And I can never be in company with this Mr. Darcy without being grieved to the soul by a thousand tender recollections. His behavior to myself has been scandalous, but I verily believe I could forgive him anything and everything rather than his disappointing the hopes and disgracing the memory of his father. Elizabeth found the interest of the subject to increase and listened with all her heart, but the delicacy of it prevented further inquiry. Mr. Ugh, hate it when that happens. <laughs> right. Mr. Wickham began to speak on more general topics, Meryton, the neighborhood, the society, appearing highly pleased with all that had he had yet seen, and speaking of the latter, especially with a gentle but very intelligible gallantry. It was the prospect of constant society and good society, he added, which was my chief inducement to enter the Blankshire. I knew it to be the most respectable, agreeable corps, and my friend Denny tempted me further by his account of their present quarters and the very great attentions and excellent acquaintance Meryton had procured them. Society, I own, is necessary to me. I have been a disappointed man, and my spirits will not bear solitude. I must have employment in society. A military life is not what I was intended for, but circumstances have now made it eligible. The church ought to have been my profession. I was brought up for the church, and I should at this time have been in possession of a most valuable living, had it pleased the gentleman we were speaking of just now. Indeed, yes. The late Mr. Darcy bequeathed me the next presentation of the best living in his gift. He was my godfather and excessively attached to me. I cannot do justice to his kindness. He meant to provide for me amply and thought he had done it, but when the living fell, it was given elsewhere. Good heavens, cried Elizabeth. But how could he how could that be? 
How could his will be disregarded? Why did you not seek legal redress? There was just such an informality in the terms of the bequest as to give me no hope from law. A man of honor could not have doubted the intention, but Mr. Darcy chose to doubt it, or to treat it as a merely conditional recommendation, and to assert that I had forfeited all claim to it by extravagance, imprudence, in short, anything or nothing. Certain it is that the living became vacant two years ago, exactly as I was of an age to hold it, and that it was given to another man. And no less certain is it that I cannot accuse myself of having really done anything to deserve to lose it. I have a warm, unguarded temper, and I may perhaps have sometimes spoken of my opinion of him and to him too freely. I can recall nothing worse, but the fact is that we are very different sort of men, and that he hates me. This is quite shocking. He deserves to be publicly disgraced. Some time or other he will be, but it shall not be by me. Till I can forget his father, I can never defy or expose him. Elizabeth honored him for such feelings and thought him handsomer than ever as he expressed them. But what, said she after a pause, can have been his motive? What can have induced him to behave so cruelly? A thorough, determined dislike of me, a dislike which I cannot but attribute in some measure to jealousy. Had the late Mr. Darcy liked me less, his son might have borne with me better. But his father's uncommon attachment to me irritated him, I believe, very early in life. He had not a temper to bear the sort of competition in which we stood, the sort of preference which was oft given me. Not thought Mr. Darcy so bad as this, though I have never liked him. I had not thought so very ill of him. I had supposed him to be despising his fellow creatures in general, but did not suspect him of descending to such malicious revenge, such injustice, such inhumanity as this. After a few minutes' reflection, however, she continued, I do remember his boasting one day at Netherfield of the implacability of his resentments, of his having an unforgiving temper. His disposition must be dreadful. I will not trust myself on the subject, replied Wickham. I can hardly be just to him. Elizabeth was again deep in thought, and after a time exclaimed, To treat in such a manner the godson, the friend, the favorite of his father, she could have added, a young man too like you, whose very countenance may vouch for your being amiable, but she contented herself with, and one too who had probably been his own companion from childhood, connected together, as I think you said, in the closest manner. We were born in the same parish within the same park. The greatest part of our youth was passed together. Inmates of the same house, sharing the same amusements, objects of the same parental care. My father began life in the profession which your uncle, Mr. Phillips, appears to do so much credit to. But he gave up everything to be of use to the late Mr. Darcy and devoted all his time to the care of the Pemberley property. He was most highly esteemed by Mr. Darcy, a most intimate, confidential friend. Mr. Darcy often acknowledged himself to be under the greatest obligations to my father's active superintendence, and when immediately before my father's death, Mr. Darcy gave him a voluntary promise of providing for me, I am convinced that he felt it to be as much a debt of gratitude to him as affection to myself. How strange, cried Elizabeth. How abominable. I wonder that the very pride of this Mr. Darcy was not made him just to you. If from no better motive that he should not have been too proud to be dishonest for dishonesty, I must call it. 
It is wonderful, replied Wickham, for almost all his actions may be traced to pride, and pride has often been his best friend. It has connected him nearer with virtue than any other feeling, but we are none of us consistent, and in his behavior to me there were stronger impulses even than pride. Can such an abominable pride as his have ever done him good? Yes. It has often led him to be liberal and generous, to give his money freely, to display hospitality, to assist his tenants, and to relieve the poor. Family pride and filial pride, for he is very proud of what his father was, having done this. Not to appear, to disgrace his family, to, de to generate degenerate from the popular qualities or lose the influence of the Pemberley house is a powerful motive. He also has brotherly pride, which with some brotherly affection makes him a very kind and careful guardian of his sister, and you will hear him generally cried up as the most attentive and best of brothers. What sort of girl is Miss Darcy? He shook his head. I wish I could call her amiable. Gives me pain to speak ill of a Darcy. She's too much like her brother. Very, very proud. As a child, she was affectionate and pleasing and extremely fond of me. And I have devoted hours and hours to her amusement. She's nothing to me now. She's a handsome girl, about 15 or 16, and I understand highly accomplished. Since her father's death, her home has been London, where a lady lives with her and superintends her education. After many pauses and many trials of other subjects, Elizabeth could not help reverting once more to the first and saying, I'm astonished at his intimacy with Mr. Bingley. How can Mr. Bingley, who seems good humor itself and is, I really believe, truly amiable, be in friendship with such a man? How can they suit each other? Do you know Mr. Bingley? Not at all. He is a sweet-tempered, amiable, charming man. He cannot know what Mr. Darcy is. Probably not, but Mr. Darcy can please where he chooses. He does not want abilities. He can be conversable companion if he thinks it worth his while. Among those who are at all his equals in consequence, he is a very different man from what he is to the less prosperous. His pride never deserts him, but <laughs> which... But with the rich, he is liberal-minded, just, sincere, rational, rational, honorable, and perhaps agreeable, allowing something for fortune and figure. The whist party soon afterwards breaking up, the players gathered round the table, other table, and Mr. Collins took his station between his cousin Elizabeth and Mrs. Phillips. The usual inquiries as to his success were made by the latter. It had not been very great. He had lost every point, but when Mrs. Phillips began to express her concern thereupon, he assured her with much earnest gravity that it was not of the least importance, that he considered the money as a mere trifle, and begged she would not make herself uneasy. I know very well, madam, said he, that when persons sit down to a card table, they must take their chances of these things, and happily I am not in such circumstances as to make five shillings any object. There are undoubtedly many who could not say the same, but thanks to Lady Catherine de Bourgh, I am removed far beyond the necessity of regarding little matters. Mr. Wickham's attention was caught, and after observing Mr. Collins for a few moments, he asked Elizabeth in a low voice whether her relation were very intimately acquainted with the family of de Bourgh. Lady Catherine de Bourgh, she replied, has very lately given him a living. I hardly know how Mr. Collins was first introduced to her notice, but he certainly has not known her long. You know, of course, that Lady Catherine de Bourgh and Lady Anne Darcy were sisters, consequently that she is 
aunt to the present Mr. Darcy. No, indeed, I did not. I knew nothing at all of Lady Catherine's connections. I never heard of her existence till the day before yesterday. His daughter, Miss de Burgh, will have a very large fortune, and it is believed that she and her cousin will unite the two estates. This information made Elizabeth smile as she thought of poor Miss Bingley. Vain indeed must be all her attentions. Vain and useless her affection for his sister and her praise of himself, if he were already self-destined to another. Mr. Collins, said she, speaks highly both of Lady Catherine and her daughter, but from some particulars that he has related of her ladyship, I suspect his gratitude misleads him, and that in spite of her being his patroness, she is arrogant, an arrogant, conceited woman. I believe her to be both in a great degree, replied Wickham. I have not seen her for many years, but I very well remember that I never liked her and that her manners were dictatorial and insolent. She has the reputation of being remarkably sensible and clever, but I rather believe she derives part of her abilities from her rank and fortune, part from her authoritative manner, and the rest from the pride of her nephew, who chooses that everyone connected with him should have an understanding of the first class. Elizabeth allowed that he had given a very rational account of it, and they continued talking together with mutual satisfaction till supper put an end to cards, and gave the rest of the ladies their share of Mr. Wickham's attentions. There could be no conversation in the noise of Mrs. Phillips' supper party, but his manners recommended him to everybody. Whatever he said was said well, and whatever he did done gracefully. Elizabeth went away with her head full of him. She could think of nothing but Mr. Wickham and what he had told her all the way home, but there was not time for her even to mention his name as they went, for neither Lydia nor Mr. Collins were once silent. Lydia talked incessantly of lottery tickets, of the fish she had lost and the fish she had won. Mr. Collins, in describing the civility of Mr. and Mrs. Phillips, protesting that he did not in the least regard his losses at whist, enumerating all the dishes at supper, and repeatedly fearing that he crowded his cousins. Crowded? I have a U. C-R-O-U. I have a W. Okay. Why does this keep happening? C-R-O-U-D-E-D. Crowded. I think crowded makes it does. sense. Unlike desert versus dessert, which was <laughs> baffling on both ends. Repeatedly fearing that he had crowded his cousins, had more to say than he could well manage before the carriage stopped at Longbourn House. First of all, do you think that Lizzie is a little bit dazzled by Wickham's handsomeness and not seeing, like, obvious weirdness? Yes. And, like, the text is presenting that, and I think mostly through italics. Yes. (laughs) The fact that Wickham is, like, so evasive. But he's, like... It isn't for me to say. He's such a good con artist, right? Because he gives just the right amount of details. And he's also appears magnanimous, right? He's like, well, Darcy is generous with the poor. And he is generous in this way. And he is a good brother. um, Which is exactly what you need to do if you're trying to con someone. In um, the part of the world where we're from, that's called being chicken shit. Not being able to uh, just outright say something. He just. So I was thinking about 
while we were reading his dialogue, which functions a lot in italics and also quite a bit in like, like, here's the thing about the desert dessert thing. What was that word like when this book was first published? Because it mm-hmm. it almost feels like it had to be like radically different. Um, like whenever they translate a simile. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about how in the previous chapter it was so vague about describing his hands and the way he looks. Like, it's not very specific about the way he's handsome. And the book is, like, likewise not very, I think, clear to me. And I'm going to say this as, like, a writer, a writer, a reader in the 21st century, that he's being charming. And I wonder if a reader in the Regency would have been able, would have been charmed by the this dialogue. That's interesting. I don't think so. My sense of the charm offensive that he's applying to Elizabeth as a reader in the 21st century is that he's giving her an intimacy and like right off the bat and she feels grateful that he picked her. Tale as old as time. That's how they Exactly. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Like, you know, he picks her out of all of the other girls in the room and then gives her this juicy gas. And like they're both fixated on Darcy. Like there is that kind yeah. of like you feel like I I have likewise been in that spiral where I'm with another person and all I can talk about is like a third party. And it's, you know, the obsession that Megan the Stallion so rightly points out in Haters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if that like fixation I wonder if that is meant to kind of sow the seeds of maybe Lizzie actually likes Darcy too ah uh, yeah because we're already pretty firm like his avoidance is already pretty clearly the result of affection mm-hmm and I, I think it's a little bit grayer with Lizzie, but I, I can't help but to feel like there's a little glitter to it, you know? Totally. She does protest too much. Yeah. Like, she likes the way, like, she probably gets butterflies in her tummy when she talks about him, and that's why she can't <laughs> stop. I also like the way that this is all built. Like, she is asking questions, but she's asking them all the wrong way so that Wickham can only confirm her worst instincts. Yeah, and he's really just assured, and he's doing that like open-ended chicken shit thing. Yep, that allows her to like kind of spill her assumptions onto him. Exactly. Yes, she's just like he's just letting her project everything. He's like, yeah, absolutely, he totally sucks. And then he's like, oh, I don't know, Mister Bingley, I can't really say anything about Bingley, which is such a like tantalizing little like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's not just talking shit to talk shit, you know. Exactly. This this is all true. It also, so the kind of like charmlessness almost of Wickham in the text in this dialogue remind, made me think about how like charming Hugh Grant is in the Wickham role in Bridget Jones's diary. Oh my God, he's so good in it. But also like in general, I find the modern Wickhams to be really 
like modern retellings of Pride and Prejudice, I enjoy the Wickhams quite a bit. Yeah. And I wonder if it isn't like part of me is like, well, maybe the slippage is coming from like the histor the historicity of manners. Does the idea but then it's crazy to think like I understand how beauty standards have changed. But the idea of like sexy, like mischievous bad boy many asterisks, 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 right, kind of vibes. The idea that that has changed is like very like for some reason I bristle at the idea that that's a social construct. But there's nothing that would say that it's not, you know. I think our uh the box shape of bad boy has changed, but the box's material has not. Does that make sense? Where it's like, because you and I immediately recognize that he's like, oh, he's picked her and like he's like, you know, singled her out and made her feel special and grateful and then like letting her fill this part of the conversation. And like, that's all the ways that like bad boys do that. Like you, you know. You're so right to point out like the appeal of him. He's like kind of transgressing right away. Yes. When he reveals this intimate gossip about right. someone who isn't there. Like he really is transgressing right away and also kind of forcing intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that is utterly timeless. Yes. And something Darcy would never do. He would never impose that way. But there's something about, like, the reading of it that, like, you and I can identify that that's what's happening. hmm And I think when I was, like, younger, when I was little, and I watched Bridget Jones's Diary, I really thought Colin Firth was the asshole. Like, <laughs> I really loved Hugh Grant, and I was shocked uh, by his indiscretion. I realize I shouldn't have been. And, like, likewise... This book is pointing in flashing arrows to where this relationship is headed. But I think it's interesting to see, like, how do you make charm, something like old-fashioned charisma, how do you make that legible on a page? And it's so much harder to do than, like, in a movie, maybe? Yeah, because, like, there's something to be said for, like, a natural charisma. But Um, I will say the actor in the... 2000 is it 2008 pride and prejudice 2003 2005 oh my god it's desert dessert all over again (laughs) rupert friend friend i don't think he really has that you know no he's not charismatic on screen nowhere near as much as matthew mcfadden i don't know if that's like through fault of his own or just kind of the way the character is in a like one-to-one adaptation like i can't even remember the wickham from the miniseries he's utterly unattractive and forgettable he also doesn't translate very well and he actually he plays wickham really slimy from the go and i think like that's a choice Mm. like i wouldn't necessarily play wickham slimy from this point especially since he's introduced by Denny, who is beloved by Kitty and Lydia. Like, one of the things that I think 
is happening here is that like Wickham understands that Elizabeth likes to hold herself a little bit apart from Mm. Kitty and Lydia. And so like by paying attention to even the dynamics that are like on the street and then playing into those where it's like, you're smart, you know things, you're observant. Let me tell you something that you've maybe already observed about Darcy. Yeah. Maybe she's attracted to him because her father is such a dick. That could also be part of it. Maybe the miniseries is trying to comment on that by making him such an obvious skis ball. <laughs> the miniseries does not make Mr. Bennett a skis ball much to its own detriment. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts? God, I am about Mr. Collins is breaking my heart. I know. <laughs> he is the most like on the page. Like, he's silly, you know, and he's ridiculous, like all of the other villains. We even get, like, a reflection on the ridiculousness of Caroline. Mm-hmm. But oh, he's just the kid who talks to adults at the birthday party. Yeah. He was an only child. He just feels more comfortable with the adults. Well, and they're also giving him the time of day, which is kind of heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. Mr. Collins is a heartbreak on the page. And I think, like, that is all... He's so silly in so many adaptations, but I think that's one of the things that the um, the Keira Knightley version did so well is like when he picks that little flower and gives it to her, like that actor really understood the tragedy of Mr. Collins. Like he he does feel bad that he's going to inherit the estate. He's uh, he's in White Lotus, the new season, season two. Is he? And he's doing a voice. Oh, no, is he? Yeah, and it's great. He's a wonderful character actor. He is truly a wonderful character actor. I love it whenever I see him. But I will full, I will forever resent. I saw him do an interview, like a, one of those like HBO coming soon's when Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice was getting produced. And I remember he said, you know, you tell girls that you're in Pride and Prejudice and they all have an opinion, especially about the casting. <laughs> and I was like, ugh. <laughs> I was in the year of our Lord, somewhere between 2003 and 2008. Like I was not a fully like my my frontal lobe was not fully developed. I thought Hugh Grant was for sure the good guy in Bridget Jones's diary. But I saw that and just got the ick. Yep. Fair. I'm curious to see what happens in chapter 17. Me too. I think that's a good place to uh, loosen your prejudices. But never your prize. (laughs) Even if someone's talking smack about you at the whist table. Nice. (laughs) Mwah. Mwah.